You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. Well, we have a new president, President Joe Biden. Well, Sleepy Joe is not going to be so sleepy in his administration because there are an awful lot of people on the liberal progressive side who have been waiting for this day where they have the presidency, they have control of the House of Representatives, and they have control of the Senate except for a filibuster. Now, many worried that if they got rid of the filibuster, the Democrats could rush through any kind of health care program that they want. Well, the recent agreement between the um, Mitch McConnell, uh, the Republican who will be in the minority, and um, with Chuck Schumer, who will take charge as a Democrat, uh, will be in the majority, even though it was a 50-50 split. Uh, Camilla Harris uh, uh, is president of the Senate, technically, and she will vote a tiebreaker, and Democrats would control everything. However, there is a history in the United States of having a 50-50 split in the Senate. And there has been an agreement that's been announced that with some concessions by the Republicans to approve Biden's cabinet and um, appointees, that the Democrats would not try to get rid of the filibuster. So the worst consequences of just ramrodding through every liberal progressive program that they want is not in the cards at the moment. Now, that could always change, but for right now, there is agreement that the filibuster uh, still stands. What that means is that to pass anything in the Senate, other than a -a once-a-year reconciliation on tax uh, policy, that it will require 60 votes, which means that it will have to be bipartisan. Uh, At least 10 Republicans will have to join the Democrats in order to uh, get most major pieces of legislation passed. So on health care, it's going to be around regulations, expansion of regulation, and um, uh, reinforcing the Obamacare rules and changes that were reversed during the Trump administration. So let's talk about health reform legislatively and uh, regulatory-wise and what's likely to happen under the Biden administration that is now taking power. So let's talk about the Biden health care plan. And let me start by reading the introduction on the website for the Biden health care plan. So we're all clear about what the direction is. As many of you know, if you've been following health care for a while, or for those of you who may not know, that it was on March 23rd, 2010, that President Obama signed the Affordable Care Act into law with Vice President Biden standing by his side, it made history. It was a victory a hundred years in the making. It was the conclusion of a tough fight that required taking on Republicans, special interests, and the status quo to do what's right. But the Obama administration got it done. Now that's the first paragraph of the Biden health care plan. And maybe it's okay from their perspective to say those things, but the history says otherwise. The history is that they passed this thing by the vote of one dead man. They had a filibuster-proof Senate, and after it passed the Senate, went over to the House, but in the meantime, Ted Kennedy died. Scott Brown ran in replacement of Ted Kennedy, and he ran against the Affordable Care Act. He would not have voted for it 
So the Democrats did not have in the Senate a filibuster-proof majority any longer. So they had to do political tricks. So it wasn't just a tough fight. It was a coercion fight of giving up to various people what at the time was called the Louisiana Purchase and all sorts of goodies that were given to politicians to vote for this thing, promises that were made that for one group of House members that it wasn't going to cover abortions. Well, you'll see later on that that could be very much a passing issue right now that Biden doesn't abide by. So let's go back to the um, Biden health care plan and what they're saying. Says today the Affordable Care Act is still a big deal. Well, obviously it is. Healthcare is a big deal. Because Obamacare, over a hundred million people no longer have to worry about an insurance company that would deny coverage or charge higher premiums just because they have a pre existing condition, whether cancer, diabetes, or heart disease or a mental health challenge. Well, I'm gonna stop right there and comment on that. What a lie that is. Over 100 million people no longer have to worry. Large employers, which cover 120 million people, never had a problem with pre-existing conditions. If you work for a large employer, they're their own group, and they're under a federal law called ERISA. And one of the requirements to have the flexibility of a large self-insured employer covering their employees is that you cannot implement strict pre-existing condition requirements. So in the very first paragraph, it's distorting about the law and how it got passed. In the second paragraph, it's a distortion and a lie about them covering pre-existing conditions for people who didn't have it before. He says insurance companies can no longer set annual or lifetime limits on coverage. That is true. And that was probably a good thing. What they did there was... It wasn't available before the federal law passed because insurance companies like Lloyd's of London would not offer up a product to to reinsure lives above five, maybe $10 million before. So one of the good things about the bill is that it, in fact, allowed for unlimited lifetime limits. So he says roughly 20 million additional Americans obtain the peace of mind that comes with health insurance. Well, they say the uninsured was 47 million and now it's 28 million. But the 47 million dropping down to 28 million is roughly where they get their 20 million number from. But the reality is that the, many of those 47 million actually had insurance. They could buy temporary insurance. They could buy coverage uh, from their employer, um, Cobra insurance, which is usually expensive, but it was available. And if between jobs they got sick, and they did not have the COBRA, they actually could go back and retroactively sign up for COBRA. So you kind of had a nice free pass in the old system, but those were counted as uninsured. So it was a distortion. It was a lie to call that many people uninsured, and it's certainly a lie to say that now 20 million people have additional peace of mind that comes with insurance because they don't. Even those that now have insurance have very high deductibles, very high cost sharing, and very high premiums. So I'm not sure if peace of mind goes from just having an insurance card or whether having actual affordable insurance, which the Affordable Care Act did not provide. Going back to the language of 
the Affordable Care Act or of Biden's website. It says, but every day over the past nine years, the Affordable Care Act has been under relentless attack. Immediately after the passage, congressional Republicans began trying to, again and again to repeal it, following the lead of President Trump. Well, that's a true statement. It needs to be gotten rid of, and Republicans have railing against it for a long time. So Republicans in Congress have only doubled down on this approach since January 2017. And since repeal through Congress has not been working, President Trump has been unilaterally doing everything he can to sabotage the Affordable Care Act. Well, what he's done is not sabotage. He's gotten rid of some of the very bad parts of the Affordable Care Act, like the individual mandate that charged you a tax for not having coverage. The only time in our entire history of this country did you charge somebody when they didn't buy something. So the coercive nature of the Affordable Care Act is what President Trump has been getting rid of. He also got rid of some of the restrictions on how you can do some of the account-based plans, whether it's uh, health reimbursement arrangements or health savings accounts. They've expanded the capability for people to have control over their own lives. That's not sabotaging. That's improving and providing more options, choices, and the ability for people to get the kind of coverage that they really want. Now, let's go back to the language again of the Biden website. So as President Biden will protect the Affordable Care Act from these continued attacks, he opposes every effort to get rid of this historic law, including efforts by Republicans and efforts by Democrats. Instead of starting from scratch and getting rid of private insurance, he has a plan to build on the Affordable Care Act by giving Americans more choice, reduce health care costs, and making our health care system less complex to navigate. Well, boy, where have you heard some of that language before? If you want your doctor, you can keep your doctor. If you like your insurance, you can keep your insurance. Well, let me tell you something right here and now about what the Democrats do with any kind of legislation, because I've worked with the Democrats on mental health many years ago to ultimately get the 2008 Mental Health Parity Act passed. And I'll tell you the philosophy that I was told by the Democrats in passing legislation. Pass any kind of legislation that moves us in the direction, and if there are flaws, if it doesn't work quite right, we will adjust it down the road. But we have to have something on the books that we can adjust. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. We'll have something we say we're going to fix. And that's exactly what Obama said when he passed the Affordable Care Act. He said, this is a foundation. We're going to get to a single-payer system, but we have to start someplace. And as you will see as we go through this hour, talking about Biden's plan, it is a continued expansion and growth of government involvement in our healthcare system, providing rules and regulations and requirements, all on the American people to get not what the American people want, but what some bureaucrat wants, what some politician wants, what some lobbyist has said that the Americans should be allowed to have. That's what's happening in this entire bill by Biden. His entire approach is to give us socialized medicine on a step-by-step basis using the Affordable Care Act as step number one. So let's go back again to the website. It says, for Biden, this is personal. 
He believes that every American has a right to peace of mind that comes with knowing they have access to affordable, quality health care. He knows that no one in this country should have to lay in bed at night, staring at the ceiling and wondering, what will I do if she gets breast cancer or if he gets a heart attack? Will I go bankrupt? He knows that there's no peace of mind if you cannot afford to care for a sick child or a family member because of a pre-existing condition, because you've reached a point where your health insurer says no more, or because you have to make a decision between, between putting food on the table and going to the doctor or filling a prescription. Talk about exaggeration. Talk about trying to put something out there that doesn't exist. The straw man, if you will. When you have insurance, you have unlimited lifetime limits. It's not the insurance company says no more, that your policy doesn't cover it. If you're covered, you're covered. Your policy is going to pay for those services that are approved. Now, if you don't want a service that's an approved medical procedure, the insurance company might say, no, you can't have that procedure. It's going to be done down in Mexico City. It's not. It's an experimental service. It's not covered. It's not recognized. It's not approved. There are certainly some issues like that that you could take and point to that justifies the kind of statements they make. But it's a distortion. But nobody will tell you that. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back after these commercial words. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, and I hope you'll make plans to join us on January 28th for Warriors for Hope. I'm thrilled to be a part of this virtual fundraiser for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital and Warriors to Citizen. These organizations do so much to support veterans, first responders, and families who have been touched by pediatric cancer. I'd also like to thank David Moxley and his show, David's Pick, here on America's Web Radio for supporting Warriors for Hope. And I know you'll want to join in and support this event as well on January 28th. So visit warriorsforhope.events. That's warriors and the number four, hope.events. You can make a gift and reserve your seat for this virtual benefit. Again, that's warriors and the number four, hope.events. Thanks for your support, and we'll see you at noon on January 28th. Hi, I'm Lee Greenwood, and I am so proud that the Warriors for Hope group has asked me to host their first annual fundraising event to benefit St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and Warriors to Citizen on January 28th. I'm looking forward to some very impressive people talking to us about social responsibility and the need to help worthy people with long-term physical or psychological issues. It's going to be a great show with a great cast, I promise. And hey, I might even sing. Go to Warriors for Hope website to register and donate to support our cause. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Today we are talking about um, Biden's health care plan, at least what he's put on paper and on his website. And we're trying to quote directly from his website, give some additional information about the truth or validity of it, the prospects of where it would go and what it really means, because sometimes the words aren't exactly uh, what's going to happen. And so we're going to talk about Biden's health care plan, 
But I've already laid out the foundation of what he wants to do, which is he wants to build on the Affordable Care Act and offer up a, um, a government option. That's Medicare. Well, O'Biden's own cost estimate, 10-year cost estimate of his health care plan, is that he estimates it will cost an additional $750 billion. So three-quarters of a trillion dollars is what he wants to add. And I can guarantee you, for him, worked with politicians in, in Washington with people who estimate costs, especially bias estimates, that you can almost always double that amount. So we're talking about $1.5 trillion just for the health care plan. So it doesn't include any of the other proposals on Green New Deal or benefits to illegals or anything like that, although I think this does include health care benefits to illegals, I'm presuming, but maybe not. Anyway, Biden's plan would keep all the regulations that have driven Obamacare premiums upward over the last 10 years. And make up for them by increasing federal subsidies to Obamacare enrollees. In other words, he's going to increase costs of health care, but then try to offset that with providing more and more government subsidies that we'll see in a moment. So let's go through some of the details. The first bullet point off of his own website, and I'm reading directly, says giving Americans a new choice, a public health option like Medicare, So if your insurance company isn't doing right by you, you should have another better choice, whether you're covered through your employer, buying your own insurance, or going without coverage altogether. The Biden plan will give you the choice to purchase public health insurance option like Medicare. And as in Medicare, the Biden public option will reduce the cost for patients by negotiating lower prices from hospitals and other health care providers. It will also better coordinate among all the patient's doctors to improve efficiency and the quality of care and the coverage of primary care without co-payments or any other cost sharing. Nice words in a lot of ways, but let me see if I can interpret it. What he's saying is for those eligible, even for employer-sponsored coverage, they would have the option for a Medicare, a government-provided Medicare. Well, today under Obamacare, people who qualified for health care from their employers are ineligible for subsidies because the employer is providing a subsidy. So under Obamacare, um, you're not eligible for government subsidies if the employer uh, is uh, helping to pay for your own coverage. So Biden proposal eliminates that firewall and allows people to go back and forth between these government exchanges and a Medicare program if they want, and employer-sponsored coverage. So it puts the government in competition with employers. It's basically saying um, that it doesn't really matter. It's the same thing if an employer is sponsoring your insurance or the government is sponsoring your insurance. Well, let me tell you why that's different. It goes to the first sentence just about in this section that we're looking at. He's saying that under the public option – the government is going to negotiate lower prices from hospitals and your doctors. Well, since when does the federal government negotiate? What they do is they demand, they price fix. And they price fix, for example, on existing Medicare, an amount that is not cost-effective for hospitals to even provide much of the care. 
Now, it's not as bad as Medicaid, which is insurance for the poor, but basically the government can set any price they want, and they can be much lower than any insurance company can negotiate. In fact, today, insurance companies on average are probably 30% higher than Medicare because hospitals have to make up for the losses of government programs of Medicare and Medicaid by charging the private market more. So this just exacerbates that, and it's a great back doorway of killing private insurance. And that's what this is really all about. So this section of saying, well, we're going to negotiate sounds good, but federal government has the ability to demand lower prices and say, this is all we're going to pay you. And so you can expect doctors and hospitals to have lower cost reimbursements under these programs and have fewer and fewer hospitals and certainly fewer and fewer doctors because they'll be getting less and less money uh, for the services that they provide. Now let's talk about another section of the Obamacare as we get into these details. I'm going to read directly and I'm going to comment on it. The direct comment, quote, from their website, is increasing the value of tax credits to lower premiums and extend coverage to more working Americans. Quote, today, families that make between 100 and 400 percent of the federal poverty level may receive a tax credit to reduce how much they have to pay for health insurance on the individual marketplace. So if you want to buy an individual policy, you can get subsidies. Now, they use 100 and 400 percent of the federal poverty level because almost nobody really knows what the federal poverty level is. Well, let me tell you. For a family of four, the federal poverty level is almost $105,000 in 2020, and it goes up each year. So you're going to provide subsidies for people who make over $100,000, but it's even worse than that. That's the current law, as bad as it is. And what Biden wants to do is eliminate the 400% of the federal poverty level and make these tax subsidies, these tax credits, available to everyone, everyone. And I'll tell you the only limiting factor on that, and it's another game that they play. So today, in order to be eligible for subsidies to defray the cost of Obamacare-sponsored insurance, your income needs to be below that 400%, and that's where Biden wants to eliminate that. It's actually $104,800 in 2020 for a family of four. So Biden's plan would eliminate that eligibility cap, enabling families with six-figure incomes to avail themselves of Obamacare subsidies. This policy would have a small effect on coverage because most people making six-figure incomes get their health insurance through employers. But as we just saw, you're going to put the federal government in competition with the private market from the earlier segment we just talked about, where there would be single-payer or a, a Medicare option, even if you're working for somebody, you could go and get that Medicare option, a government program. So now you're going to drive up the premiums more on the employer side. So maybe more people will need subsidies, even if they're making six-figure, because their private insurance premiums are going to go way up. So it's all kind of a ruse to eliminate the private marketplace. Whether they want to say that directly or not, that is the whole intent. Again, it's let's build this thing out, ultimately making changes and adjustments that ultimately destroy the private market health insurance, and everybody has to come under uh, government insurance. So eliminating the 
the, the level on the tax credits of 400% of the poverty opens it up to everybody. And guess what that does? That opens up the whole marketplace so that the government can take over. And in addition, it sets up a structure that says, you vote for me and I'll give you even more subsidies. So it's a way of locking in votes now and in the future because the people that will vote you in just want more and more subsidies. So you become more and more like a herd of sheep that just follows the trail of some smell of additional free money, supposedly. But somebody's paying for that. So that's what this is all about. It's about control. It's about power. It's about eliminating the private free market at the end of the day. So there's one more catch, or at least two more catches, that build on this same idea of making you dependent on the government. So let me go back and read the next section. So we're reading word for word what's on their website. It says the dollar amount of the financial assistance is calculated to ensure each family does not have to pay more than a certain percentage of their income on what's called a silver plan. Under Obamacare, you got different types of plans. There's a, a silver and there's a gold, for example. The silver is not as generous. It covers roughly 70% of expected claims that you might have. And a gold covers about 80% of the claims that you might have. And so based upon your income, you're given a subsidy to be able to buy one of these silver plans. Uh, but these shares of income are too high and the silver plans deductibles are too high. So the final thing that, that Biden wants to do, besides eliminating that 400% income cap on getting a tax credit, he wants to change the maximum cost relative to your income from a maximum of 4.86% to 8.5%. So you're going to have more and more people eligible for subsidies. Now, that sounds like you'd be spending an awful lot of your money on health care, even at 8.5%. But the reality is that's of some income level that people can manipulate, and people do. I know that they do. I've seen it. So what means is that more and more people will be able to be covered with more and more subsidies if you lower it to 8.5% uh, of their income. But keep in mind that second part, they're going to move from subsidies for a silver plan to subsidies for a gold plan, which is about – 10% higher in cost. So now you're going to get more people getting more subsidies against a richer plan, which again locks them into this whole idea ultimately of government controlled health insurance. So the Biden cap also eliminates enrollees exposure to rising costs. So they're, they're not going to be hit by as much. So you don't have as much personal responsibility. So by initiating subsidies after individuals spend 8.5% of their income on premiums, the combined effect of this idea is, is one above would be eliminate any incentive for insurers to keep costs in check. Because the government's paying the bill, so why would insurers worry about it? Because they could simply pass off to taxpayers in the form of higher federal spending. So you can see how anytime the government gets involved, they, they're going to have more of an impact on the marketplace and distort pricing, which is what the whole idea is of the Biden plan. Now, the critique of it is that that's going to happen. But the underlying belief of Biden and the Democratic Party 
I believe, is to actually do that, to destroy the private marketplace. Well, let's take another break, and we'll come back and delve a little deeper into this whole idea and the problems and issues of Biden's health care plan. Hey guys, it's Minister Frankie with Shine His Light Ministries. It's getting cold outside and winter is coming. It's time to shine a little light on our friends on the street. We're collecting blankets and coats for the homeless all winter long. Please donate by going to our website at www.shinehislightministry.com or text 770-655-8055. Hi, this is Rocky Blyer, and I hope you'll make plans to join us on January 28th for Warriors for Hope. I'm thrilled to be a part of this virtual fundraiser for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital and Warriors to Citizen. These organizations do so much to support veterans, first responders, and families who have been touched by pediatric cancer. I'd also like to thank David Moxley and his show, David's Pick, here on America's Web Radio for supporting Warriors for Hope. And I know you'll want to join in and support this event as well on January 28th. So visit warriorsforhope.events. That's warriors and the number four, hope.events. You can make a gift and reserve your seat for this virtual benefit. Again, that's warriors and the number four, Hope.events. Thanks for your support, and we'll see you at noon on January 28th. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. We're talking about the Biden Democrat health plan. We talked about already in the first two segments of this hour this week, we talked about how the basic principles that they set up are based on a number of rather dubious statements, questionable premises around how Obamacare was originally set up, what its intent was, how it was structured, because that's what Biden wants to do. He wants to expand on the Affordable Care Act. So recognizing the flaws and the problems is not something they want to do. They just want to expand on it, expand government control. We also talked about some of the core issues about how they're talking about expanding control over health care, eliminating the 400% of the poverty level in order to qualify for a government subsidy. They want everybody to qualify for some level of subsidy. They want to increase the plan that's being offered up with subsidies from the silver to the gold plan. The gold plan is 10 to 15% higher than the silver plan. So increasing to that gives more subsidies. And then on top of that, they want to increase the subsidies that are available so that you're getting subsidies if you're above, if you're below 8.5% of your income instead of 9.68% of your income. So more subsidies to more people, expand the coverage, get the government more involved in each individual's uh, health care initiatives. Now, we talked about already how the government is going to be involved more and more in the employer market as a competitor to the employer marketplace. So we can eliminate the private market if we get the government and they get to set the prices for what they're going to pay for services. They're going to be the dominant player. They already are in many ways paying 50 cents out of every dollar that's spent on health care through existing Medicare, Medicaid, uh, the SHIP program for the children, TRICARE, the VA system. 
So now they want to take over the other 50% by eliminating private market competition. But let's see how they want to continue to expand that control over the marketplace by making it sound even better to low-income Americans. So another bullet point on their website talks about expanding coverage to low-income Americans. And here's what it says. Access to affordable health insurance shouldn't depend upon your state's politics. But today, state politics is getting in the way of coverage for millions of low-income Americans. Governors and state legislatures in 14 states have refused to take up the Affordable Care Act's expansion of Medicaid eligibility, denying access to Medicaid for an estimated 4.9 million adults. Biden's plan will ensure these individuals get covered by offering premium-free access, premium-free access to the public option for those 4.9 million individuals who would be eligible for Medicaid, but for the state's inaction, and making sure that public option coverages the full scope of Medicaid benefits. Well, let's see if we can unpack that a little bit. First of all, you got to remember that the federal government, under the Affordable Care Act, tried to coerce states into covering expanded Medicaid. But the Supreme Court ruled against them on that and had to be eligible. And the reason the states didn't want to do it, why 14 states still don't want to do it, is that the states have to pick up a substantial portion of the Medicaid bill. And even though Obamacare said, well, originally for the first few years we're going to pay 80 or 90 percent of the bill, who can trust the federal government to continue to do that when you're trying to run a state budget and you're looking into the future after two, three, four years and you don't know what the federal government is going to do? And then you won't have money for roads, you won't have money for schools, you won't have money for anything else in your state budget because Medicaid has been eating up a bigger and bigger portion of it for many years, and this would just expand that drain on state budgets. Now also keep in mind that he's saying for an estimated 4.9 million adults. Now when Medicaid gets coverage for the adult, there's usually children involved as well. So what about the illegals? Biden wants to cover all illegals. So there we've got somewhere between 10 and 20 million illegals in this country. So if the cost of all this that Biden has estimated at $750 billion, even if we take him at his word there, we know that that's dramatically understated for political purposes, that if you double, quadruple, Four or five times the number of people we're talking about expanding coverage to with premium-free coverage that we're talking about several trillion dollars as a real expense. So expanding Medicaid makes very little sense other than to the politicians because expanding Medicaid gives people a card that says they've got some kind of insurance coverage from the government, Medicaid. But Medicaid is so poorly reimbursed, the providers don't want to cover more Medicaid patients. About 30% of providers out there, that's doctors, your family practitioners, your general practitioners, they don't want Medicaid patients because Medicaid reimburses them at such a low rate. And in fact, Medicaid reimburses hospitals at such a low rate 
the hospitals have to charge the private market about 30% above Medicare rates in order to survive and offset the cost losses from Medicaid and some of the losses from Medicare itself. So there's a cost shifting that's going on. The government doesn't negotiate with anybody. The government says, here's what I'm going to pay you. Take it or leave it. You don't have any choice. And so as a result, they pay them much less because they can. So they, the hospitals to survive, the doctors to survive, have to charge somebody else more in order to have a portfolio of clients that actually can allow them to stay in business. That's why many doctors are getting out of the business, retiring. They used to always have their children come into the business and follow up as being doctors, and that's not the case anymore. They'd rather have their children go and be stockbrokers or computer programmers to make more money than they could uh, as physicians. So this national expansion of Medicaid would effectively replace Obamacare's Medicaid expansion that was optional. And this replacement of Biden's would be a premium-free access. So the states that have already expanded Medicaid could keep their expansions, expansions, or they can switch over to this new public option-based approach, which would be premium-free. So now even people who were covered before are now going to be covered. There's not going to be any premium whatsoever, where some states do have some cost-sharing uh, involved. But under Obama's care, it's, it's all going to be free. So how do you get more and more people? Because people have been eligible for Medicaid for a long time, and it wasn't until Obamacare paid people to go out and recruit and hunt down people and get them covered for Medicaid. Um, what's, what's Biden going to do to expand on that? That was pretty effective. About 6 million people signed up who previously said they didn't want to sign up, didn't know how to sign up. And that was not necessarily, in my opinion, a bad thing to get people signed up who were eligible. But Biden's going to go beyond that. He's going to do it by automatically enrolling these people when they interact with any kind of um, low-income population welfare program. So as soon as you sign up for anything like the, uh, the food stamp program, uh, any kind of um, uh, school subsidies, housing subsidy, you're going to automatically be enrolled in Medicaid. What does that do? It does give them a card, which is going to make it still hard to find a physician that provides them the services. But it locks them in because if they ever actually get a job and start to make more money in advance and try to realize the American dream of upward mobility, they lose all of that. I mean, I know people who are covered under Medicaid and get all those government benefits. Um, They don't even want to get married to the father of the children, for example, because they would lose their government benefits. They make more money by being on the government dole than they can make if they go out. Yes, their top side might be better when they go out, but as soon as they go out and try to make some money, they lose the government benefits. So it's a cliff benefit. You start to make something, you lose everything, and it keeps people locked into poverty, which has been the Democratic game plan for a long time. Keep them on the plantation. So this auto-enrollment that Biden is proposing, the auto-enrollment will automatically enroll individuals in the Obamacare-sponsored coverage if their incomes are below 138% of the federal poverty level. Well, guess what's going to be the next step? Again, you can see the growing expansion, taking all the numbers and making them a little bit bigger and involving more money, more federal spending, 
more ways to sort of weave this web of deceit among the population to capture them in federal programs that they would have a hard time getting out of and able to enjoy sort of an upward mobility. It's a way of keeping people down. So what will happen to 138%? Look for that at the next level to go to 150%, 175%, 200% of the federal poverty level to get more and more people into a premium-free option under Medicaid. So that's what's going on to a large degree. Now, let me make a few more comments about these vague proposals that he's made. So it's bad enough that healthcare lobbyists have so much power in Congress, but Biden compounds the problem by being deliberately vague about how his public option would work. A public option that would actually pay Medicare rates to hospitals and doctors would, in fact, offer a competitive, low-cost option to consumers. But Biden steers clear of such controversial language, promising instead to negotiate prices with providers in a manner that is like Medicare. You get that? The only places in which Medicare negotiates provider rates are sometimes with specialty physicians who effectively get to determine what Medicare pays them anyway. So the federal government doesn't negotiate with anybody. They demand, here's what I'm going to pay you, take it or leave it, uh, go into another business if you don't like it, and I don't care if I'm putting you out of business, I'm putting you in financial stress, there's no market competition, just you take it or leave it, and I'm going to keep cutting these rates, but if I can't cut the rates any further than that, I'll just increase the taxes to everybody else. So the other area that he's getting into in his proposal is into the real boogeyman of healthcare, and that's the pharmaceutical industry. And what he wants to do there is to reduce some of the pricing for branded products. He also wants to reduce the advertising costs by, by he actually increased the advertising cost by saying you can't take that as, a, as an expense in your business, all the advertising. So that would keep consumers um, ignorant about some of the drugs that might be out there that might be useful. They wouldn't know what to do and ask their doctor or physician uh, about a certain drug or condition they think they might have. So it kind of um, is the opposite of transparency uh, in that aspect of what he's trying to do. But the other thing he's trying to do is control the prices he wants to set up a whole bureaucracy to take a look at what a reasonable price is. Well, it's hard to knock a lot of that because the industry is so corrupt in and of itself. The pharmaceutical industry has taken advantage of uh, a monopoly that they really have as an industry for a long time. So President Trump has actually proposed a more incremental version of this policy that Biden's talking about. He's instituting an international price index for drug payments in the Medicare Part B program. So we're already, already getting some movement there, and I think that's um, uh, been needed for a long time. Let's take a break, and we'll be back in just a few minutes with another session of Healthcare Insight. Hi, this is Rocky Blyer, and I hope you'll make plans to join us on January 28th for Warriors for Hope. I'm thrilled to be a part of this virtual fundraiser for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital and Warriors to Citizen. These organizations do so much to support veterans, first responders, and families who have been touched by pediatric cancer. I'd also like to thank David Moxley and his show, David's Pick, here on America's Web Radio for supporting Warriors for Hope. And I know you'll want to join in and support this event as well on January 28th. So visit warriorsforhope.events. That's warriors and the number four, hope.events. You can make a gift and reserve your seat for this virtual benefit 
Again, that's Warriors and the number four, Hope.events. Thanks for your support, and we'll see you at noon on January 28th. Hi, I'm Lee Greenwood, and I am so proud that the Warriors for Hope group has asked me to host their first annual fundraising event to benefit St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and Warriors to Citizen on January 28th. I'm looking forward to some very impressive people talking to us about social responsibility and the need to help worthy people with long-term physical or psychological issues. It's going to be a great show with a great cast, I promise. And hey, I might even sing. Go to Warriors for Hope website to register and donate to support our cause. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Let's finish up this hour continuing to talk about the Biden health care plan. That will be the Democratic platform health care plan. And the belief of this person and many out there in the country is that health care is going to be the number one issue because Democrats can make Medicare for all or a government option sound very reasonable. It's not. We're talking about the issues as to why it's not. But let's go forward with this last segment, and let's talk about some of the more controversial parts. We've already talked about how these proposals are going to eat away at the private market, will not lower the health care costs, will get government more involved, which will increase spending, because the insurance companies will have no reason to have lower premiums. The providers will have no reason to have lower costs, except the course of government policies, and then we'll start leaving now the profession and we'll wind up with um, the cost being wait times and deaths because we can't get people serviced in the healthcare area. So you can't create a private market, a competitive market in health or healthcare with the kind of mishmash government uh, involvement that we've been talking about. So what's one of the most controversial parts of the Biden program? Well, it's repealing something called the Hyde Amendment. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar, there was a representative, Hyde, who years ago passed something that continues to be referred to as the Hyde Amendment. What the Hyde Amendment is, it's a longstanding policy now of uh, Congress not to pass any legislation that includes government funding of abortions. Now, half or more of the country doesn't believe in abortions. Obviously, there's a very strong voice in the Democratic Party for the right to choose. Well, what's the right to choose abortion? Well, that means somebody else's life, that that unborn baby is in there, and there's no rights for that because they call it a fetus. They don't want to call it a baby. So what part of what Biden wants to do in his health care proposal is to repeal the Hyde Amendment, which would be the first time in decades, decades, that's considered has been very controversial and there's been no real government support for it. But in this movement towards the left-wing politics, it seems to be uh, up for change and would be part of uh, uh, the Biden health care reform. So the public option would cover contraception and a woman's constitutional right to choose is the way he puts it. But it means that the unborn child has no rights. In addition what he's talking about is codifying Roe v. Wade. Well, Roe v. Wade is based on the science, when a fetus becomes viable. 
And originally it was the first trimester and you couldn't have abortions in the third trimester. Well, we're seeing scientific recoveries now of early births that never could have happened before. We're finding that life begins when the heart beats at six weeks, for example. So the whole idea of codifying in the legislation something that science and technology and our growth of understanding would dispute um, doesn't make a lot of sense except for those who just want uh, abortion to be free and available instead of having personal responsibility or adoption or other solutions. The other controversial thing about um, Biden's plan is he wants to restore federal funding for Planned Parenthood. Again, a nod to the people who are in favor of abortions, want more abortions, and Planned Parenthood has been notorious, uh, has been exposed for many of the problems um, with the abortion that they provide, services they provide, so it's not just counseling. But the Obama-Biden administration, what they did um, was they rescinded something called the Mexico City policy, which has to do with international support uh, for federal governments and programs that support abortion services. Um, That was done away with by Trump, and Obama-Biden policy would go back in under a Biden presidency. So we're seeing sort of this flip-flop on uh, international policy uh, that would occur. So, again, more money for worldwide abortions. Now, the other thing that they mention in the Biden proposal is talking about the unacceptable high um, mortality rate, uh, especially um, for people of color. It says the U.S. has the highest rate of deaths related to pregnancy and childbirth, and we're the only country experiencing an increase in this death rate. It makes it sound like that's a terrible thing, and it sounds terrible the way they phrase it in here that is not telling us the facts. The real facts behind all of this is that the technology for childbirth in the United States is saving lives at much earlier stages of pregnancy, where other countries would consider a miscarriage as being considered a live birth, and then trying to maintain that child's life um, is difficult, and many of them die. So it's a birth and a death in the United States where it never would have been considered a birth, let alone a death. It would just be a miscarriage and not even considered in the statistics in most other countries. So the fact that we have such highly developed technology, medical capability, is a good thing, not a bad thing. It drives up numbers that can be distorted. You know, they always say that um, numbers can figure. You can figure with numbers, but liars also figure. So liars can use numbers to figure what they want. When I used to be in Washington doing studies, I can't tell you how many times people would come up from outside interests and say, we can do a study for you for X dollars. What do you want the results to be? We can make a result happen from whatever study you want. So then you can point to this study. It's such a game in Washington. It's such a game that you can't believe studies that are up there, let alone polling or any of that other stuff that they present as facts. Now, The other thing I want to talk about that's in the proposal is around, in his words here, achieving mental health parity 
and expanding access to mental health care. Well, this is up my alley because I worked on this for 18 years. In 2008, we got mental health parity passed so that you have to treat mental health claims the same as physical health. This is something I'm very excited about. I'm very in tune with. I've developed legislation around it. And for him to try to say, now, he's going to champion it. He wasn't there championing it the whole time. I was working on it at the state level and at the federal level. Biden was not a champion uh, for health care reform in terms of mental health parity. Um, We had people like Ted Kennedy, Patrick Kennedy, Paul Wellstone, even Newt Gingrich. But Biden was nowhere to be, be found on this. So as he's saying, as president, he'll redouble these efforts to ensure enforcement of mental health parity laws and expand funding of mental health services. Well, again, that's sort of a bone thrown to the liberal side because many of the mental health providers are liberal. The American Association uh, uh, of American uh, Psychological Association, American uh, Psychiatric Association, many of those are very liberal. And so throwing this in just sort of is a a piece of meat to those folks to say, okay, he's going to look after them, but it's already taken care of. Yes, there should be less stigma when people come out and say they've been treated. Um, I don't think that uh, depression, anxiety, some of those issues have the stigma they they had back in the 1990s before we actually passed that legislation. Not only did we do it on the commercial side, but I helped to do the actuarial work to get mental health parity passed for Medicare. So I have no problems with the intent, but the reason behind it is pretty suspicious and there's not a whole lot more to be done there uh, except to emphasize. There's no way challenging it to take you away. People know at this point you can't have real health care without mental health, so that's all being done. Now let's take the last step here in the last few minutes. Let's talk about what he has in his, um, his health care bill because he goes beyond health care. He says he's going to be supporting health and not rewarding wealth. So he believes in rewarding work, not just wealth, and investing in hardworking Americans' health, not protecting the most privileged Americans' wealth. Well, that's, you know, political mumbo-jumbo. What he really wants to do is eliminate the capital gains tax by moving it up, not eliminate it, but increase it so that you're paying personal uh, uh, taxes on it. So you move from 20% for long-term gains to 39.6% is the current top rate that he wants to move everybody to, basically. Now, why does that not make any sense? Well, first of all, when you're investing in a capitalist society as we are, you want capital to be able to move around. So short-term capital is taxed at normal income. So that's more speculation. But on long-term, you want people to be able to long-term, and then as those capital gains occur, the businesses expand and grow, you want to be able to move that capital from developed companies into lesser developing companies. And so you want to be able to move that capital out. In addition, if you have a capital loss, you don't get to write off much of that capital loss. It's like a $3,000 limit. So how in the world do you invest tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars and you're going to be taxed more on the upside, but you don't get it on the downside. There ought to be a risk and reward going back and forth each Now, let's take it one step further is what he wants to do with taxes. He says he wants to close the tax loopholes for the super wealthy. 
Well, okay, since most people aren't super wealthy, the majority can override and tax people with more than a million dollars of income. Since you and I don't make a million dollars of income, we say, fine, let's tax those people. But is that really fair? Can you always have the majority take away the earned assets, property of somebody else? Now, notice the language that he used. According to the Joint Committee on Taxation, the capital gains and dividends exclusion is the second largest tax expenditure in the entire tax code. It's worth $127 billion a year in 2019 alone. Notice the language. This is democratic socialist language, the second largest tax expenditure. So what they're assuming is that all that money that you and I make, that anybody makes in the stock market, any capital gains that we have, any income that we have, when they give us a tax break, if you will, the language they like to use as well, by letting us keep our own money, they consider a tax expenditure on their half. See, the underlying assumption is that whatever we make belongs to the federal government. And then they let us take back something. So when they let us take back something, they consider that a, a tax expenditure. As long as the agreements hold up between Republican leader Mitch McConnell and now Majority Leader Chuck Schumer about the filibuster, that that is not done away with. Remember, that's not a law that's not in the Constitution. That's an agreement as to how the Senate will operate. That's the only vehicle left during the next two years, which would prevent some of the extreme measures being implemented by law. So let's hope that that does hold and that the Republicans can have a voice that Democrats on these extreme socialist agenda items will have to be moderated in order to bring in Republican support in the United States Senate. It's a long way to go over the next two years. The president has the ability to do executive orders, which the past few presidents have used very effectively. I think we will see that with the Biden administration to an extreme. They have been planning and plotting to make the changes that they want to make at the executive level. Remember back when Obama in the State of Union said he's got a phone and a pencil and he will use that pencil or pen to make changes that he can't get through Congress. So there's a real power struggle going on around all sorts of issues, but health care is going to be at the forefront. We're going to see a lot of changes proposed, a lot of changes implemented with the powers of the new uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services. Whether or not they can roll back much or all of the Trump changes to the regulations is yet to be seen. I hope this program this week gives some insight as to what we're likely to see over the next several months and at least the next two years. Well, that's it for this week. Please join us again next week when we'll start to see the implementation of Obama's health care ideas and we can actually more targeted and focused discuss the issues that he's putting forth either through regulatory changes or through legislation. So it's going to be a very busy year for healthcare. Stay tuned. Sign on to this program each week or listen to us on podcasts. This is Ron Bachman signing off from America's Web Radio. You've been listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.